interrupt your regular broadcast to bring you this important news bulletin. River Radio has arrived. Beautiful. Tell your friends. But don't forget to wear your mask. That's right. <laughs> now to continue with the tape recording. And I stumbled to the kitchen for myself a cup of ambition And yawn and stretch and try to come to life Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from nine to five Working nine to five Hello and good afternoon. Welcome to River Radio. Yes, thank you for joining us on the Let's Talk Business show. Sophie, who is the host of this show, unfortunately is away this week. We wish your mother well, Sophie, with the operation that's going on today. Standing in for her today is myself, Sam Sethi, and my guest and co-host for today, Matt Crisp. Matt, hello. Hello, Sam. Thanks for having me. Great to be here today. Oh, Good. Now, we're going to find out all about Crisp Digital, which is your company. Um, but before we do, guys, if you want to listen to the show again, we do do a listen again from the website, which is river.radio. And there is a podcast as well that you can subscribe to on Apple, Google or Spotify. Or, as they say, on Podland World, wherever you get your podcast. Anyway, back to Matt. Now, Matt, welcome. Matt, tell us who or what is Crisp Digital? What do you do? Well... Chris Digital Sam is my, my marketing agency that I've had for 11 years now. Uh, we specialise in websites. We've, we've been building websites for the last 11 years and lots of ancillary services have grown out the back of that. So search marketing, SEO, pay-per-click, reputation marketing, uh, social marketing, paid, organic. So we help small, medium-sized businesses grow their, their followers, grow their visitors and convert more businesses more business using digital revenue strategies cool now in terms of that's how you that's what you do today um what have you seen change 11 years is quite a long time what what when you first started building websites for people what was expectations and now when you build websites what's changed in those 11 years well i'm constantly talking about web design being a new job every six months so if we take that through cycles that's 22 cycles of a new job every six months um, when I started in web, web was far more about the technology. It was about having a something up there. And I think more than anything over the last 11 years, it's become far more about the marketing. Um, you yourself, you, I know you use uh, Wix for the River Radio website. Um, there are so many systems and platforms out there that you can use to build your own sites. The companies like me, the, the digital marketing companies, it's become far more about how the brand is portrayed about the content that's on the website rather than being about the technology, um, which it was in the first place. Having said that, there's obviously still a lot of room for complex, complex systems, platforms, web applications, but definitely it's, it's become far more about the marketing than anything else. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, you said Wix, Squarespace. I mean, WordPress is what most people in small business would use. I, I guess that's what your core platform is that you develop with. Yeah, we've worked with WordPress for probably eight years now, um, almost from its inception, maybe maybe a little bit after WordPress came out. We do a lot of custom um, work, PHP, Laravel too, but WordPress is by far, in my opinion, still the open source market leader with the most flexibility. 
Yeah, I know the uh, CEO quite well. Anyway, um, now, the, the, the one thing I, you said was that we've moved from a, a technology platform, and I guess that's what happens with technology. It gets uh, buried, it gets hidden within the platform itself, made simpler to the end user. And I find, because I've built some websites in the past, you know, people come to you and they go... <laughs> How much? Really? And they, they, you know, all they want is 50p in a Mars bar for the for the actual website because they think just because you can build it in Squarespace or Wix with some sort of template, that's all they need to do. So how do you get them to understand the difference in, you know, what they can get off the shelf with a basic package and what you can do as a professional digital agency? Where's the difference lying? I think the that's a real challenge. Um, you know, there is this presumption that technology can be rolled out very simply which in in some ways and for some businesses it it really can be now it it is very simple to open yourself a a Wix or a Squarespace account and create a basic looking website Um, where the real expertise and and skills come in are in the branding the messaging the tone of voice the correct image selection and how that is all brought together to um, create something that is really, really quite professional. Um, the number of, of poor quality websites that are out there um, is far superior to far bigger than the number of high quality, great on-brand sites that really convey the messaging properly um, and convert. You know, ultimately, we want our visitors to become customers. If they don't become customers, then it, it certainly doesn't help grow the business. And conversion rates sit at around 1% to 2%. So for every 100 visitors that come on your site, you're only going to convert 1% to 2% of those, 1% to 2 of those into conversations. And if the, the quality of the site isn't good enough, then you're going to convert even less. Yeah, I, I mean, that is the key, isn't it? So a lot of people think it's like a, having a presence online is all they need to do. You know, build it and they will come. No, they won't come. You have to get the SEO right. You have to get the marketing right. And then when they do come, don't waste their time. They want to get to whatever the solution is or, or the problem that you can fix uniquely for them. And that's what I find often. You know, I've, I've had clients in the past say, I want this big glossy image. Do you know that won't load? <laughs> I want a video when they land. Oh, great. That's really good. But that's just going to stream and that'll take ages. And actually, what does the video give them in terms of value? And they don't understand sometimes. So it's that professional expertise, I guess, that differentiates between what Chris can offer and what, you know, you and I could probably just do in a five minute package. Oh, 100%. There are lots of specialities in marketing, as you know. We have brand experts, we have developers who build things, and these specialities are, are very, very different. You're going to find your, your developers are normally quite introverted people um, who aren't client-facing. Uh, your brand strategists can sit and talk fluff and waffle, as we sometimes refer to it as, um, for hours on end and being able to tell a brand story effectively is a branding expert's job being able to develop a really high quality website that passes google pingdom tools um, gt metrics gets a's all the way through is a, a developer's job so it's working with an agency is all about working with different specialists to create something that tells a great story, works fantastically well, and ultimately converts those visitors that the agency help you get into paying customers. Now, in those 11 years, 
uh, mobile first has become pretty much, I guess, the web mantra, you know, because so many of us carry an iPhone or an Android phone with us. And if we're out and about and we want to find something, we Google it, we then link to it, we find the website, we want to go. How have you found with your clients that have they, you know, taken on board that mantra mobile first or do you still come and get people who want this big glossy website? Where, where, where is the balance now? I think it depends on the, the type of business that you're working with. Um, B2B businesses, I tend to find are more interested in their desktop version, whereas the, the B2, B2C businesses that we work with are, are far more aware that they need to be mobile first. Something I find incredibly interesting, one of the th- first things I do before I speak to a, a new potential customer is to, to run them through the Google Page Insights, Google Page Speed Insights tool. And you'll find that 80% of the sites that you do run through that tool are very, very good on desktop, but rank incredibly low on mobile. So it's clearly something that um, lots of people aren't thinking about enough still, but everything we do is is fully responsive. And if your your site isn't responsive, you really don't stand a chance of, of converting those mobile users anymore. And, and what, just for those listening, what does responsive mean? So responsive design is about a single design that scales down and changes on different screen sizes. Of course, there are so many different mobile phone models out there, so many different tablet models, um, screen sizes as well. Responsive design is is a really important element of, of a good web design to to make sure that no matter which device the the user is viewing it on they can use the site well they can they can see all of the images things aren't scrolling off to the right or left off the screen um it's all about great usability ui ux cool so fundamentally what we're saying is speed's key seo's key and responsiveness is key they're the things that we're looking at now yeah, I think there's there's a lot more to it than that, but those are certainly three key elements. Okay, I came up with a term called, you know, you've had B2C, which is business to consumer, B2B, which is business to business, and I've got another one called B2A. B2A. Yeah, there you go. Business to Alexa, because I think voice is going to be a very important platform within the way that businesses interact with end users. Um, I think... You know, the genie's out the bottle. We can't, we're not going to put uh, Google and Alexa back into their boxes. So uh, are you beginning to find customers coming to you yet or is it too soon saying, look, we want a third channel. You know, we've got our website, we want our mobile channel, but now we want our smart assistant channel. It's our job as an agency to educate our customers on these these kind of things i found our customers who sell on amazon uh, are kind of far more aware of this um, and far more interested in in trying and and doing things with it um i'm a massive massive alexa fan i've got lots of alexa gadgets at home i turn my water fountain and my garden lights (laughs) on and off with my alexa i've really embraced it I, i find it quite amazing um how fearful Lots of people still are, you know, over there listening to our conversation. Um, And we do give our data away on on huge, huge scales. We're sat there next to our Alexas letting um, Amazon and and Google listen to everything we're saying. I'm from the generation where that's kind of really cool. 
that, that's great. You know, let's let's give them that data. Let's be fed relevant adverts to things that we really want. I never forget um, being with my mother and a friend at a cafe, and my mum was talking about a four meter by two meter sale she was going to put in her garden. Uh, within hours, the other friend we were with had a an Instagram advert for a four meter by two meter sale. Um, you know. Some people are really scared of that and kind of feel that it's a real infringement on their privacy. Other people embrace it. You know, I think it's a, it's a great thing. Let's be served ads that we want to see. Yeah, I'm with you totally, 100%. My answer to those people, don't have an Alexa. Don't have... But then I say to them, don't have a mobile phone either because your mobile phone tracks everything you do. If you look at your phone under the settings, it, you can actually... I can take your phone now and I could tell you everywhere you've been in the last year and it's it's stored. I could also have your ISP tell you every website you've been to, even if you use that so-called uh, anonymous browsing, which isn't anonymous, by the way, anyone. So in case you're wondering, <laughs> the only thing it's anonymous is it hides it from your bookmarks. That's it. That's all you get. Everything else, the ISP still knows what you're doing. Um, so, as I said, uh, do you but we didn't really answer it. Do you think yet, is it too soon for the Alexa stuff or is it just on the edge of it? it? I think it's time to adopt. You know, I really do think it's time to adopt. Um, I think that's much harder for for the B2B businesses to do. Um, There's kind of less skills that that they can provide, but definitely for the the B2C clients, you know, the time is now. You you should be able to order your top-ups of X, Y or Z product via your Alexa um, it would be great if your your instruction manuals, how do I do this with my X were on Alexa? Mm-hmm. 100% the time is now. Cool. So start dipping in. And you heard it here first, B2A. That's the new term that you want to be using. <laughs> I like it, Sam. I like um, it. Now, I'm going to play a little bit of music. We're going to have a break. When we come back, I'm going to be asking Matt how he got into all of this. And later on, I'm going to be asking Matt some questions about current business, because Matt's a businessman himself. Stamp duty ends on Friday furloughing ends at the end of September and of course that's very applicable to what you've done had to do over this so I'm going to find out how as a business owner of a small business here based in the Thames Valley you're going to be dealing with that and of course the lorry and fuel shortage how's that affecting any of us anyway this is a track from a a band that you haven't heard for a while this is from a band called Men at Work it's from the album Business as Usual and it's called Down Under In a fight I'd come on a hippie trail head full of zombies. I met a strange lady, she made me nervous. She took me in and gave me breakfast. And she said, You come from a land down under. A women go and Can't you hear, can't you hear the thunder? I'm back from a man in Brussels. He was six foot four and full of muscle. I said to you, speak my language. He just smiled and gave me a bitch in my sandwich. 
Spread the word. Welcome back. This is Let's Talk Business. You're with Sam here. I'm standing in for the wonderful Sophie Comas, who's away. And I'm with a brilliant guest, a friend of mine, Matt Crisp, here in Marlow. Hi, Matt. Hi, it's Sam. Thanks now, for if you've missed it, obviously you can go back to the website, river.radio, and listen again. And, of course, there's the podcast you can subscribe to. But Matt's been telling us all about how he built the business and over the 11 years, what's changed between website development then and website development now now i want to just find out a little bit more about matt though rather than crisp matt now are you a local boy have you always been around the area i have i grew up in in marlow bottom went oh. to school in maidenhead and uh, after a, a short stint traveling around for work uh, i went out and worked in bangladesh I've, I've done lots of time with my team in nepal i'm uh, Back here, not far away from Marlow at all. Can I just say you're more Indian than I am? Because I've spent less time in India than you. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that separates us, I've got a town and you haven't. Ha, that's it. But other than that, yes, you're probably more Indian than I am. Now, um, what made you want to get into web development? Look, you know, what did you do at A-level or university? What was your skill set? I was always very into to graphics. I had a, a great graphics teacher at school or product design teacher. Um but I think with all these things, with, with most people that I know that are in business, they, they tend to fall into them. And my aunt um, was made redundant from the company she worked at. She was working at a bus company. 
and said, I, I'm going to have a go at this on my own. I'm going to try and run my own bus company. And I was a kid at the time, I think 14, 15. We had no idea what we were doing. Absolutely no idea. No understanding of brand, of marketing, of running a business. But somehow, by hook or crook, in an 18-month period, we took this startup to two and a half million turnover. It was a, a really great story. and Amazing. Certainly whetted my appetite for, for being in business. So um, after couple of years there finishing off my A-levels over at the Henley College I decided um, do you know actually I've, I've really enjoyed having a business and uh, it's time to go out on my own so I looked at all the things I'd done along that journey and the technology I'd, I'd written a CRM um, this was back when you couldn't roll one off the shelf like you can today and um, CRM I, basically customer relationship management or as I like to call it customers really matter which is a much better an acronym but you go on. <laughs> very nice term, Sam. Very nice term. Um, so I know I looked at what I'd really enjoyed doing, and that was the the web side of thing, the technology side of things. And I set out to to start a tech business. Here I am, eleven years later, with a marketing business because that's why the way the trends have gone. Yeah, and and I think and the good thing about it is they're not going away. I mean, in fact, if anything, COVID has taught us we're going more online than offline. Um, I always call COVID the the accelerator, digital accelerator, because the death of the high street, unfortunately, is naturally happening. Things that you will get on the high street eventually will all be the things we expect. Wine bars, restaurants, haircuts, um, but, you know, things like banks and most of the clothes shop probably won't survive because business rates won't come down, but at the same time, costs will go up. So going offline, oh, sorry, going online and removing your offline element probably is the right way. 100%. I think it, it is very difficult. I read a statistic not long ago that it takes four to five years to, to take an e-commerce store into profit. Um, and that's not so much from the initial investment in, in the website. You know, as we were discussing earlier, Shopify is a great example. You can set up your own online shop very easily, very cheaply. But the cost of marketing it, the cost of perfecting your ROI, ROS, um, return on investment, return on spend. Um, it, one, takes a long time to get right, especially when you've got a, a lower value product store. It's uh, it's far easy to market to a customer who's got a an average spend of a £1,000 than it is for a customer who's got a far lower spend. Um, so it does, it does take time, money, effort, energy to get those e-commerce stores off the ground. Um, but I've been involved and had the pleasure of working with some fantastic success stories over the last 11 years. Um, it's been really great to watch some of these brands go from nothing, startup idea to large businesses turning over lots and lots of money. No, that's always a nice thing, especially when you've had a hand in the play. Now, um, if you had a thousand pounds, where would you put your thousand pounds online? Google, Facebook, how would you how would you maximize given your knowledge and experience where would you stick your thousand pounds specifically in e-commerce or well you've got an online business right you you know you're selling let's let's call it e-commerce so you know you, you've got an idea you've got a product you've built your basic website uh you know your customer audience you've got your brand sorted you know you've come to chris they've done all that part for you i've now got a thousand pounds in my back pocket where do you stick it matt I think this links back to our, our conversation we were having earlier. We talk about with the, the Facebook paid algorithm now, trusting the algorithm 
um, letting it do what it does. There are so many points to this algorithm um, that that are not public, that are not shared. Um, you can plumb in your your existing customer database. And Facebook will go away and find other customers like them. We don't know exactly how it does it, um, but we trust it and we let it do it. So I think, especially in the the selling, the e-commerce side of things, I'd, I'd probably put my thousand pounds on a on a Facebook ad. But it is all about testing. You know, that thousand pounds is a test budget. Let's try this campaign. Let's try that campaign. What if we use this graphic, that visual? How's it going to work? How the, how the customer is going to react? And ultimately, it's about trying lots of things and finding out which campaign works the best and then scaling it. Okay. So Google itself, no, you wouldn't put any pennies in there, would you? It depends, again, on the product. You know, if you've got a product that people are searching for, um, I'm a great believer in PPC. We built the bus business with PPC, people typing in coach hire in X. Uh, they were all PPC campaigns to start with. We then moved across into into SEO. It works really, really well. Somebody is searching for something, you're showing them a website with that something on it, and then people buy it. It's, uh, it's not rocket science. But when you've got an e-commerce um, and you're having to compete, for example, with, with Amazon, um, in the, the paid or natural listings, it's far more competitive um, and therefore I believe that, that Facebook's a, a great way to market your products um, it, it probably comes across as, as cheaper now it was very interesting to see the trends over Covid when there was ultimate fear and panic and larger businesses pulled their spend it, it left more advertising space so the space got cheaper um, that's of course changing now and watching the trends over the last 18 months has been absolutely amazing. The high street opens, online sales go down. The high street closes, online sales go back up. It's been a, a really interesting 18 months in digital marketing. Mm. Well, I think I think it'll be interesting to see where that equilibrium goes back to. You know, you, you, you're talking about a swing between offline and online, but there will be a natural point where that pendulum stops roughly. Will it be 80-20 online, 80-20 offline? Where do you think? I think we're probably already there. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of the, the high street brands have what they call their, their flagship stores. They don't expect those stores to generate massive profits. Um, they're there as a showcase, as yeah. a showpiece. Mm. And I think that trend will continue. Um, I think there is still a place for the high street. I personally, I think maybe as a male, enjoy the convenience of being able to dash out the night before the birthday or the anniversary to, <laughs> to grab something that's needed. Christmas Day never starts until Christmas Eve when we go shopping, right? Or oh, even that sounds a bit early to me, Sam. <laughs> You're going to have to come shopping with me on Christmas Eve. What I do, me and my mates, we go to Harrods in the morning. We go and buy a few bits and pieces, take it downstairs to the basement. They wrap it beautifully for us. We then go upstairs grab a little haircut, you know, a little Turkish cut, lovely. Then we go upstairs, have the champers, nice cigar, walk back down, pick up the presents and go home. I think that's the point, isn't it? It's the experience that counts. Yeah. And if you can, you can't get that experience online, then that's what makes me feel there w will always be space for shops, for the high street. Um, but certainly, you know, I'm terrible for shopping on Amazon. Um I even bought, I bought three bowls this week, three glass bowls for the kitchen. One arrived smashed and, you know, there's a negative. But at the same time, it's just so easy. Oh, I need some glass bowls. I'll order them. They'll be here tomorrow. Yeah. That, 
that is not going to disappear. It's, no. it's great. When Amazon managed to convince us to put our credit card online and trust them, that was a massive change in the way the market worked. Uh, and, you know, we originally we used to have Scottish and Geordie call centres because they sound nice and they sound trusting for some reason. And so, you know, whenever you had your credit card with Amazon, there would always be a, if you're not sure, call this number. And it was always some Geordie, and my wife's a Geordie, before anyone writes in and complains about me being Geordieist, if that is even a word. Now, um, moving swiftly on, though, we are seeing, though, around the Thames Valley, a, a real split between well, let's say Marlow and Henley, which are thriving. And then sadly, Maidenhead and Windsor, surprisingly, if you've been to Windsor High Street, it's really looking bare. Um, And you go, you know, around to some of the other towns. So we are seeing a real split across the river between Berkshire and Buckinghamshire, I mean, across the Thames Valley. Do you think there's any reason for that, Matt? I can't say I've been to Windsor High Street for That's the reason, Matt. People aren't going. (laughs) It's convenience, isn't it? You know, Marlowe's on my door, doorstep. I'm, I can't say I've been to Henley High Street for a long time either, though, saying that, Sam. Um, I, it's the convenience. It, it's there, you know, there, there is a lot of wealth in Marlowe and Henley. I think that's that's obvious. I, I, I feel like Maidenhead's almost got to be treated as an outlier at the moment with all the, the construction that's yeah. going on there. Um but having said that, there's a lot of wealth in Windsor too. Um, I know Windsor the Queen's suffered. There. The Queen's <laughs> there. I know, and it's suffered, hasn't it? You know, over the COVID period, yeah. Windsor's really suffered without the, the revenue from the tourism. Maybe it's because Andrew's at Balmoral and not at Windsor. Maybe that's what's caused it. Now, um, some of the things, let's move on then. Some of the things that are beginning to affect uh, small businesses across the Thames Valley and broader, of course, not just here, Um this Friday, well, the end of September, which is pretty much this Friday as well, strangely, um, furloughing ends. Now, how how have you, as Chris, dealt with furlough when it first came out? How did you deal with COVID? Let's start back there. How do you deal with COVID? How do you deal with furlough? And what are you going to do? Sorry, Matt, to ask you three in one questions. What are you going to do now furlough's coming to the end? I think furlough was a, a phenomenal tool. Um, and, you know, I... I think a lot of people would not have survived without furlough, uh, especially if you had a, a business that was in events or like my my bus company. Nobody got on a bus over the COVID period. Um, those businesses would have died. The, the people would have been uh, in serious, serious situations financially if it hadn't been for the furlough scheme. So it, it's been a phenomenal scheme that's kept uh, a lot of people going. Um do you still know anybody that's on furlough, personally? Personally, no, but that, that may be the, my mates. <laughs> <laughs> but you, have you still got staff on furlough? Uh, we have you still got a couple on part-time furlough, um, which we've utilised and, and has worked really well for us. Um, but things are picking back up and we're, we're planning to bring those staff members back to full-time if they want to come back to full-time, which I think is another big topic um you know. yeah i mean let's cover that i mean but but in terms of that last bit with furlough <clears throat> if you then if you then bring all your staff back will 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 that furlough mean that you're i guess what i'm trying to say is it, it's that balance between you being operationally profitable again allowing you to pay salaries at full time again without making staff redundant which is what furlough's hidden i guess 
if furlough ends, uh, not not asking you to say about Chris particularly, but do you think businesses in general are back up to a level where they won't have to make large scale redundancies? I think it depends on the sector you're in. Again, you know, I the, the bus company for one that certainly um, is a long way away from where it was before, and there are still strange rules being put out by the government that allow this and don't allow that um, that are affecting revenues um but it's great you know i was last weekend at pub in the park and any festival it's great to see those kind of events all back up and running and you know to to see the end of the furlough scheme i think is is a good thing it has got to come to an end um but it will be interesting to see how things balance back out as we were we were talking about earlier yeah it's cost the country 11 billion in furlough to, to supply the furlough me and you are paying for it fundamentally right this is not a, a magic money tree that you know dishy rishi as he's now known um has managed to find no i mean we're seeing it in the national insurance increase um you know we have to pay this back i guess over a period of time or our grandchildren will be paying it back for us do you do you support the fact that you know national insurance has had to go up to pay it or do you think we should have done it another way ultimately as you said it has got to be paid back and whichever shape or form that that comes in it comes in a shape or form um i think they've done a great job of uh of covering it up and under more money for the nhs i think that's a a, a great way of uh of um justifying it i suppose um but you know ultimately as you said we we have got to pay it back and you know i think we've got to be thankful that the schemes that were put out were put out to support people. We've all made it through. We're all still alive and kicking. Um, you know, we have lost a lot of small businesses. I remember reading half a million small businesses had gone into liquidation. I think that's that's really sad um, that there weren't the, the support elements in place. But as Rishi said, we can't afford to save them all. Um, and I think that's a really good point. Yeah, we can't. I mean, it's, it's, it's the capitalist natural market, you know. Um, I actually think we probably should have let, now this is probably controversial, but we should let more businesses go because what we've fundamentally done is taken money from our grandchildren's pot to pay to protect our current environment. And then unfortunately our grandchildren will see the repercussions of that. But we could have seen more businesses close, less furlough, more people unemployed. You know, in the 1920s, the Great Depression occurred and more people suffered. So I, I'm... I'm Sat on the fence. I don't know whether it's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. I think it's it's one of those situations. You know, I always felt really sorry for for Theresa May when she was dealing with Brexit. Whatever she did, she was going to lose. And I think it's been the same for Boris, hasn't it? Whatever he did, if he went for the um, the, the herd immunity method, and lots of people died, we'd have been upset about lots of people dying. He's locked down and there's been lots of people very upset that he locked down and killed business. You mm-hmm. know, either way, somebody's going to be upset. Somebody's going to lose. We are where we are. We've just got to get on with it, haven't no, we? I agree. They call that actually where Theresa May was a, a, a female brought into a, um, a business where it's potentially bad news or, or there's going to be a negativity. They call that the glass cliff. So they allow them to come through the glass ceiling take on the top job knowing they're going to go straight off the bottom and then a man's going to come straight back at the and go, well, look, we'll fix it. You know, 
shadow charts, but there you go. That's known as, in business, it's known as the glass cliff. There is an actual term for that. Um, and I feel sorry for Theresa, our local MP, or soon to not be our local MP, but for now she is. Okay, moving forward from furlough, um, stamp duties ending this Friday as well. Um, you recently bought a home, congratulations. Thank did you, you do that because stamp duty was at a lower rate, or did you do that because you were, just wanted to buy a house? I would have probably done it anyway. I'd been looking at buying a house for the last 18 months, and I think it's it's tough as a business owner. You're kind of, oh, is this the right time? Should I be doing this now? Um, and I think at some point you have to just get over that and go, right, I'm going to do it um, regardless. It's it's going to be fine. I I did fight tooth and nail to get in before. I See, I thought this was already all over, and I because I fought for the 31st of June date. Um, and I did get in there, and I know the conveyancing solicitors were working round the clock. My other half's father is a uh, estate agent, and he he was talking of deals that were going through at eleven o'clock at night on the thirty first. Yeah, I think they extended it. That was the point. And now they're they're saying that's it, final end of end of September. It's gone. Full stamp duty comes back. And we'll have to see what happens with the the housing market. I know. Around here, especially the the rental market is really really hard to rent a house. There's not a lot of stock in the market. Maybe that's because the landlords have been thinking that their asset has hit top value and it's it's time to cash out. Um, I think again, it will be a really interesting one to to see what happens over the coming months. Okay, we're going to have another quick break. When we come back, I'm going to ask Matt a little bit about his views on what the effect of the lorry and fuel shortage a might be in the short term. But there are now signs and warnings that uh, Christmas may be cancelled because we're not going to get our toys and goodies for our kids or our puppies or anything else. And more importantly, for our, our more important persons in our lives, our spouses. But until then, let's have a little bit of the... <laughs> Turn it up, turn it up, turn it up, turn it up, come on baby, just pump it. 
Australia's live and direct rocking this scene. Breaking on down for the B-boys and B-girls, we're in it, do they think? Pump it, louder, come on, don't stop, and keep it going, do it. Let's get it on, move it. Come on, baby, do it. Mobile. Hello? And on Alexa too. River Radio. That's it! Hmm. I pronounce that River Radio, but I'm always working on how I say things and I might not have it right. <laughs> no, you got it right, Alexa. You're fine. Now, welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on Let's Talk Business. I'm joined here today. My name's Sam, and I'm joined and standing in for Sophie, actually, the wonderful Sophie Comas, who's away today. But she'll be back next week. I'm with my friend Matt Crisp from Crisp Digital here in Marlow. Now, Matt, we were talking a little bit about furlough, stamp duty. We've been talking about your business itself, Crisp Digital. Um, I want to just cover something about the lorry shortage and fuel shortage. I'm beginning to see reports of people saying they can't get their kids to school, they can't get their, you know, the key staff to work. Have you seen any effect on your business at all yet, or is it just hype? We have had a couple of meetings cancelled this week. Very sorry, can't get any fuel, can't get in. Um, luckily for the lockdowns, everybody knows how to use Zoom, hey? So it wasn't too much of a problem. Um, I did a serious panic buy, not because I heard the news and, and went and panic bought petrol because one of the girls in the office said to me you realize they're queuing at the petrol station and didn't you say you haven't got any fuel that was a panic buy <laughs> um, but I think that's the problem isn't it you know the, the media went mad on this consequently everybody else went mad I've seen some great photos on some of the local Facebook groups people with nine cans out the back of their car filling them all up um, and can I say to that person with nine cans you are a Rat. <laughs> Perhaps one word I think I'd have gone for selfish, Sam. That's yeah, that's a better word, maybe, but I, I, I think, oh my God, really? But I, I get it, you know, there, there are estate agents out there who need to drive to their appointments mm-hmm. and, you know, are really struggling. It's, it's a real shame that we react to the media um, in the way that we do and we go out and buy 10,000 toilet rolls or fill up all our cans of, of petrol and diesel. Um, it, yeah, it's a real shame because, let's be honest, if people hadn't panic bought, it probably wouldn't have been an issue at all. So I, I saw somebody actually, and I thought they were very funny. I'm not sure I believe them, but I think it's very funny, saying that this new E10 fuel that's come in, and that actually it was the fuel companies who leaked the shortage because they wanted to get rid of all the old stock. So by doing that, they go, oh, no, it's short. Everyone rushes and they go, oh, great. We got rid of all that stock we didn't think we'd get rid of. Now let's put the new stuff in. <laughs> I have seen a meme on that myself. I'm a great lover of a, a good conspiracy theory. So, yeah, we'll go with that one. <laughs> OK. Now, moving moving forward with, with what you do, you, you don't just do... 
uh, Crisp Digital. You've talked about your bus company. Do you have other companies within the portfolio of Matt Crisp? One of my passions is getting involved with a startup. There's there's nothing better than an idea down the pub over a beer that turns into a business that generates revenue that has members of staff that, that does great things and has great stories and that's certainly one of the things I live for. I've uh, I've got involved in a fair few startups in my time. Um, I've really enjoyed lots of them. Some of them have been great successes. Some of them were epic failures. Um, but that's that's one of the reasons I get out of bed in the morning is, is to work with startups, to work with small businesses. Um, the corporate work is great and pays the bills very well. But the startup work is uh, is what really drives me. I've got um, a particular client actually who's uh, a crochet expert. She she. Makes, I was going to say not Tom Daly. <laughs> <laughs> she she makes crochet patterns. She's got a hundred thousand plus followers on Facebook now, and she she had a small shop in Princess Risborough when she started this. Left for a, a new life by the seaside and creates a, a great revenue and has lots of raving fans who certainly spent a lot of time crocheting over lockdown. <laughs> yeah, so so getting involved in startups. Now, I've always said, in hindsight, hindsight's, you know, and when every idea is obvious in hindsight, I wished I'd invested in Apple, I wished I'd bought Bitcoin, um, and I wished I'd started a domain host, selling just domains, because that is just the best business to be in, because that's just, that's money for old rope. Um, is there a, a business that you think you missed out on, or you've wished I, you'd invested I, into? I must agree, I wish I got on the crypto um, the crypto scene earlier. One of my, the members of my team bought some Bitcoin very, very early on, and did very, very well out of it. Um, you know, hindsight is a great thing, isn't it? Hindsight's a really great thing, and if we could all have seen x y and z we'd have all made millions um i i really enjoy following the the crypto stocks now and we're up 10 percent one day we're down percent and 10 percent another day it's great to to ride the ebbs and flows do you have a sort of little fund that you're allowed to play with or i do have a little a little fund a very little <laughs> fund that i i play with because of course you're going to lose so much with it as yeah, well yeah i mean it, the good thing about it is it, it it's I guess with crypto, if you were the um, Winklevoss twins, can you imagine? Right, so so basically when Mark Zuckerberg stole their idea, which seems to be true now, we, we didn't think it was, but... He did pay them out, didn't he? Yeah. He paid them out, but they took all that money and they put it into Bitcoin. And everyone laughed at them and everyone said, oh. you are crazy. They're not saying that now, strangely. Hindsight turned into foresight, hey? <laughs> yeah. Although the guy who paid with a Bitcoin for a pizza when he took his girlfriend out, not so clever. No, wishes he hadn't spent that Bitcoin. Yeah, that's probably about a £60,000 uh, pizza or more, even. Um, now, I don't know if you saw this week, talking of Bitcoin, I mean, this is an area that I uh, am really interested in because one of the things, I mean, I've been involved in the web for <clears throat> 30 years. Shh. I don't look that old. Yes, thank you very much. Um, but I have. And one of the biggest um, regrets of Mark Andreessen, Mark Andreessen's the guy who invented the browser, or basically built the first commercial browser at Netscape. He said he wished he'd invented a micropayment system for the web and a digital payment system fundamentally as well. Um, of course, he didn't, and we've been suffering with putting online credit cards and PayPal and various other mechanisms for taking payment. But um, the micropayment system, and I don't know if you've heard of it, Satoshi, 
I can't say I have. So it's very funny because um, it's something that I think people will be really interested in, but it's just behind the interest curve of the main mass market right now. So what? So the guy who invented or allegedly invented Bitcoin is called Satoshi, and and that's a he's not Japanese. We don't know his uh, origin. He could be Japanese, but he's gone under that moniker. Uh, and some say it's not one person; it could be many. Basically, Bitcoin, as you and I were talking about, is a distributed mechanism of uh, storing information on the blockchain, and Bitcoin is a coin that can be used as well in that environment. What it is, though, it's like a Bitcoin is like a pound or a dollar. It's a one big thing or unit, and it's great for storing value. So if you want to put all your gold now into Bitcoin, that's a great way of doing it, Or and then you can move it in various jurisdictions very quickly imagine having to move gold bullion you know you, you have to get the ship the truck the, the clearance from the export and import you can't really move your money but if you want you can just click a button and suddenly your money's in a wallet from the us to the uk to switzerland to wherever you want it to be uh, and it's yours and it's protected so that's been great but what hasn't been good on the on the internet is um i just want to say well done matt that post you wrote and i want to give you uh, a reward well, if I click a like, great. Well, thanks a lot, Sam. That's a waste of my time. I can't can't feed myself on a click and a like or a heart. So Satoshis are one cent of a dollar or one P in a pound, but they're even smaller than that. They're point zero zero one of a Bitcoin. And what you can do is you can you can convert your fiat currency, your sterling or your pound, into Satoshis. There are many ways of doing that now. And then once you've got them, it's a bit like an internet token. I can now take my internet token around to various websites like Medium or others, and I can issue a Satoshi to you, and you can take it as a reward for whatever. It could be my attention, or it could be anything else. Twitter turned it on this week, and that's why I'm talking about it, because it's a bit sort of extreme, but and it has been. And I've been on one of my podcasts I do, we've been getting Satoshis given to us. Uh, people pay us for our podcast in Satoshis. And when it first came out, I was like, oh, this is a waste of time. And suddenly we've got like three, $400 worth of Satoshis. It's like, okay, maybe oh, not so much a waste of time. Yeah. And that's only over a matter of five or six weeks. And we're like, wow, this is great. Okay. And what it is, they're called Boostergrams. So you can send a message with your Satoshi. So you can say, Matt, loved your website. Here you go. Here's 10 Satoshis or here's a thousand Satoshis, or a million, whatever number you want. And you get it, and then you, Matt, could then convert it into your from your wallet back into real-world currency if you want. It's very simple. So it looks like Satoshis are going to be the missing micropayment system. And I was sceptical, 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 until this week, if you go to your Twitter account, there is a new uh, coin or dollar bill icon. Click on it, open your wallet, and then suddenly you can start paying in Satoshis. Wow, wow, wow. I think, you know, with all these things, it's about ease of use, isn't it? Yeah. And if they've nailed the ease of use element and Twitter have adopted it, there's the confidence and, you know, it's going to happen, it's going to work, it's got the reach now, hasn't it? I grew up in the the PayPal generation. Mm. You know, I loved my PayPal account. I could pay with my email address and a password. It was all secure. You had the PayPal disputes centre, making sure that anything that went wrong you were kind of backed up on. Um, 
and that worked really well for me. I had great confidence in PayPal. I remember at the time, lots of people were very sceptical. Oh, I don't want to store my card details online. Oh, that means they can hack my account to the username and password. You, everything is, is only as secure as your username and password. You know, 2FA has, has taken over completely. But And, and this is why Stripe has done so well. The, the ease of use of Stripe from signing up and setting up an account to linking it with your website, um, taking payments over the telephone and it's really cheap it's it's one percent you know having worked with lots of the different banks payment gateways over the years world pay um even sage pay you know lots and lots of compliance to get through to get signed up incredibly difficult to integrate all breaks when x y or z goes wrong um you know that that for me comes down to easy use and if satoshi have nailed that with twitter then it's clearly going to do very well it sounds like i should be buying some satoshi tonight eh? i think so mate and also a little bit of square from uh, jack who owns both square and twitter so go and find square as well he's massively into the bitcoin world the, the other thing i think we'll we'll see with satoshi's that'll be really interesting for me is the first time we so you know when, when i remember because I, I was in netscape showing someone how you get on the web right and you opened up your laptop you got the browser you dialed up you know that separates the young from the old that sound if you know the sound of a dial-up modem you were old you knew it matt's never heard that he i have it that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a cup of tea while we wait for it to connect huh? <laughs> you don't look old enough, Matt. right so that sound separates my children wouldn't know what that sound was and so all that complexity of the TCP IP stack, the, the modem going in, the bit rate, all those words, HTTP that nobody understood, www. And it was so complex that we thought no one's ever going to get on the web. Now look at everyone, right? In the same way, you've had to have a, a lightning node. You've had to be able to get understand what a Satoshi is and wh- how you get a wallet, enable a wallet, blah, 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 transfer money. It's so complex. And now it's two clicks in Twitter in your account and you've got your wallet and you've basically put your credit card, bought your Satoshis, and now you've got a little pool of Satoshis to give to. Every one of the River Radio podcasts is enabled for payments in Satoshis. There you go. Fantastic. So if you fancy giving anyone like this show a little bit of a booster ground, you can do that if you know how. You can go and find an app. They are available all over the web, and I'll tell you where. Uh, And... You can basically get these apps, so Castapod is one and uh, Fountain's another as an example, where you can basically listen to the podcast of this show and as you're listening, go, oh, that sound bloke, he's pretty good. Nah, I'll give him a thousand Satoshis. I, actually, I think Matt's even better. I'll give him 10,000. So you can do that. There are apps now that are enabled already to take and make payments for podcasting. Twitter, as I said, has just turned theirs on. And so when you start to see Facebook and others begin to do it, Instagram will do it. I think Medium's certainly going to do it. You're suddenly... Now, the thing that will interest me is when you and I first go and buy a beer using Satoshi. And I'm sure that won't be long. It won't be. That won't be long at all. I wonder how many of your staff one day will ever ask you. Do you think you'll ever get staff saying, can you pay me in Bitcoin rather than currency sterling? Well, if, if, if it avoids a tax, I'm sure they will be asking that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the interesting thing, isn't it? Let's let's see what happens with the way this is all taxed. You know, I understand completely that Bitcoin and the other cryptos will grow because there's a, a finite amount with the amount of quantitative easing that especially the UK and US have done to get through COVID. These cryptocurrencies are just going to continue to grow over a long period of time. Um 
Satoshi's a new one to me, but you heard it here first, River Radio, <laughs> River Radio Sam Sethi, buy some Satoshi, buy some Square. Yeah, I, well, yeah, I don't often give out any advice, and so please don't take it as, as gospel, but, you know, I think uh, I've been in this industry long enough and seen a few things around. This one is going to stick because there's too many interested disparate parties governments don't like it that's for certain going back to the tax implications controlling central banks but there is a rumor that um well i certainly know from the fact the bank of england is looking for a a bitcoin what's called a stable coin which is a, a uk equivalent to sterling and they reckon that the eagle that's the name they're giving it will be the stable coin the bitcoin for america to sit alongside the dollar and the first country in the world that has taken Bitcoin is El Salvador as its national currency now. So wow. so yeah. you can now, everything in El Salvador is buy or sell in Bitcoins and Satoshis. There is no other currency. Really, really impressive, isn't it? Yeah. The way the world's going. And I think everyone is watching them right now going, mm, that's a good experiment. We'll watch and see how it goes. But the president of El Salvador said his country will save £400 million a year by using Bitcoin, because the exchange currency between the dollar and the previous El Salvador currency meant that they had to pay so much in currency exchange. Of course, they don't do that now because they can transfer it anywhere around the world and people are accepting Bitcoin. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Anyway, look, thank you so much for joining us. Matt, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure having you. It's been a pleasure being here. Thank you ever so much, Sam. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, Next week, Sophie will be back, same time on River Radio. Uh, That is going to be 1 till 2 every Wednesday on Let's Talk Business. Uh, It leaves me to say thank you so much for joining us. Now, if you've enjoyed this show, please go to our website, river.radio. You'll be able to listen again to the whole show. And if you want to, you can even subscribe to any of our shows. They're available on Apple google or spotify or wherever you get your podcasts uh, until then thanks for joining us later on tonight we have the extra time show that's our sports show with ed and will and i'll be joining them on that show later tonight and then after that we have a special uh show which is called the old spice boys and on that show this week we're going to be having keith hackett the guy who set up all of the refereeing in the Premier League, talking about VAR in terms of football and whether it's good or bad, what he says about the World Cup being every two years. Do join us. That show is 7 to 8 tonight called The Old Spice Boys. Until then, have a great one and we'll see you soon. The end. That's all, folks.